When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hope you're having a good morning. Please ignore the news because otherwise it'll just ruin your day. I don't mean the soccer news. I mean the the real news. The important news. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just I'm thrown a little bit by some things that are happening in the world this morning. But we will move on quickly because we are here to do a soccer show. We are here to be your distraction on a Wednesday morning. We will be with you for the next, oh, I don't know, 75 minutes or so. We're going to talk about the news and the headlines here off the top. We're also going to talk to our friend Ross Dunbar from DW Sports. He's going to uh, give us some insight on the Bundesliga so far this year. And including in that, included in that will be a discussion about Bayer Leverkusen as they are in the Champions League this evening, well, this afternoon for all of us Americans here, trying to get through Lazio in a uh, Champions League qualifying tie. Let's go ahead and dive straight into the headlines before I uh, before I end up dwelling on now all of that bad news in the world. Let's start with the UEFA Champions League and those qualifying ties. We had games yesterday that have determined who will advance into the group stage for uh, five teams. We'll start with Monaco, who got past Valencia. I'm sorry, that's the wrong way around. Monaco beat Valencia 2-1, but Valencia progresses 4-3 on aggregate. Valencia becoming the fifth team from La Liga to make it into the group stage of this year's Champions League. Malmo, 2-0 over Celtic, goes through 4-3 on aggregate over the Scottish side. Maccabi Tel Aviv with a fairly historic advancement past FC Basel. 3-3 was the aggregate. Maccabi Tel Aviv moving on thanks to the away goals tiebreaker. Shakhtar Donetsk 2-2 against Rapid Vienna yesterday. 3-2 on aggregate. Shakhtar advances. Dynamo Zagreb. Is it Dynamo or Dynamo? I always get those confused. Dynamo Zagreb 4-1. Over Skinderbu Corset, 6-2 on aggregate, Dinamo Zagreb advances. Uh, that will mean I will, will no longer have to try to pronounce correctly Skinderbu Corset. Qualifying matches second leg, qualifying tie second leg today. Club Bruges at home against Manchester United trying to overcome a 3-1 aggregate deficit that Man United earned last week. Apoel Apple, Nicosia from Cyprus down a goal against FC Astana. 
as Dolo try to overcome that deficit. Bayer Leverkusen, aforementioned, down a goal, one nothing to Lazio on aggregate, so they'll have a chance to turn that over at home. CSKA Moscow is down a goal to Sporting Lisbon after the leg in Portugal. They'll play Sporting at home today in Moscow. Partizan Belgrade down one nothing to Bate Borisov. So that's uh, an opportunity for the Belgrade to get through as well at home. It's Bate Borisov will try to hold on to that slim lead. CONCACAF Champions League, the version we do over here in North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. D.C. United, 3 nothing winners over Montego Bay United, staying perfect in their Champions League group stage campaign. Saprisa doing the same with a 2-1 home victory over Santos Laguna of Mexico. Municipal 2-1 over Santa Tecla. You have games tonight. Olympia hosting the Seattle Sounders who have a weekend Seattle team as they uh, send down uh, mostly reserves, but some uh, some serious contributors to that team will be in that side as they face Olympia on the road. A point would be fantastic for Seattle in that game. San Francisco of Panama hosting Carretero of Mexico and Herediano hosting Tigres, one of the obvious favorites in this tournament at this point. In the transfer rumor mill, Everton's John Stones has long been speculated. Uh, speculation has long been out there that he'll be moving to Chelsea. Reported um, that uh, John Stones has handed in a transfer transfer request to Everton, and that Chelsea is readying a forty million pound bid for the twenty-one-year-old English centre back Mario Balotelli. He's moving back to AC Milan on loan from Liverpool, and apparently he'll have a good behaviour clause. In his contract, Gazzetto dello Sport said on Wednesday that the club's chief executive, Adriano Galliani, had based the clause on regulations which are applied to people who serve in the Italian Air Force. Balotelli must not damage the image of the club, and his Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram posts will be closely monitored. He will be banned from extravagant haircuts and clothing, from smoking, and from visiting nightclubs, and must turn up on time for training. His drinking will also be limited. Quite the uh, clause for Mario Balotelli. He said in a statement on his Facebook page, I'm grateful to Liverpool FC and Liverpool fans for the time and opportunities you gave me. It's not a goodbye, but rather a farewell. I'll be supporting you guys all the way in every competition unless you face AC Milan. Uh, again, the transfer rumor uh, transfer rumor mill is in full swing. We've got uh, less than a week to go in the transfer window in Europe. That means rumors are flying all over the place. One of those... One of the bigger ones is that Manchester United is uh, getting ready to make one big push, one more big push for Real Madrid winger Gareth Bale. Obviously, Manchester United has been interested in Bale for quite some time, going back to his Spurs days. Maybe they have the money to make the bid that will pry him away from Real Madrid. Leverkusen winger Song Hung Min has reportedly had a medical or will have a medical at Spurs. Some conflicting reports I'm seeing on Twitter as to whether or not Son will actually make the move or whether he is actually in Leverkusen's squad today in the Champions League, so that bears uh, close watching. Asier Ilarmendi, not going to get that right, apologies, has moved back to Real Sociedad after a stint at Real Madrid. He returns to his former club. And Monaco Vice President Vadim Vasilev, Vasilev, let me try that one more time, has said that the club does not need to sell off stars after crashing out of the Champions League, as uh, I mentioned earlier, Valencia getting past Monaco. In the UEFA Champions League qualifying round, uh, and Monaco will not have any more Champions League soccer 
this season. Obviously, a club in uh, in the French league trying to make a push not only uh, for a title but for a Champions League glory after last year's solid campaign. Not going to happen in 2015-16. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Ross Dunbar, DW Sports, to talk some German football with him. Stick around. Later in the show, take your phone calls. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. This Sunday, it's the return of MLS Rivalry Week as the New York Red Bulls take on DC United live on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to me on Rabble.tv as I share my thoughts and analysis live during the 90 minutes. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Red Bulls against D.C. on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. to talk a little Germany with our man who covers Germany for Fox Soccer and DW Sports. His name is Ross Dunbar. You can follow him on Twitter at RossDunbar93. Ross, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me again. It's uh, it's good to have you. Uh, let's uh, let's start as we as we take a look at the Bundesliga and certainly at the Bundesliga teams um, as they enter their their new campaign, we'll start. We'll start with Bayer Leverkusen. They're at home this evening against Lazio in the qualifying round of the Champions League. Uh, down a goal. Uh, give me a reason to believe that this is going to be um, a, a good day for Leverkusen and for German football in the Champions League. Um, well, I think the nature of two-legged matches are that even though you can win the first leg, it can go horribly wrong in the second leg. I think Bayer Leverkusen's home record is pretty good in Europe. I think they've won four of the last five games at home. Um, Attacking-wise, they've got a lot of strength. In the first leg, they were the better team, I thought, for, for long spells in the game, but it was a very, very poor goal that they lost. Um, they have a very inexperienced defender in Jonathan Tarr, and he was just outpaced by the Lazio striker and uh, that was was really the only kind of chance that he had in the first leg so I I, I think Leverkusen can turn it around but um, I think given how they've played so far they've been quite dogged and quite pragmatic and maybe not as scintillating as what we expected then it might be a bit of a a tough night for them you never know well I mean if if it's Lazio Lazio's going to try to shut them down I mean you you go on the road with the goal I mean it's only one it's a very narrow margin but um, you sit back you try to counter you get that away goal and, and you're through uh, you have an advantage even if Leverkusen gets on the board twice. Is that is that what you expect out of the Italians? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the old stereotype of Italian teams is that they are very strong defensively and they're going to shut up shop and, and uh, not attack. But to be honest, I'm not I'm not really that um, well up on Lazio at the moment, so I don't know whether they're going to come and attack. But 
from what I read, um, they, they seem quite happy with the lead. Miroslav Klose is not fit, so he's not going to play uh, in Germany tonight. So I would think that they would come out and try and get the away goal. I think strategically it's, it's a good way to do it because, like you said, if you get the away goal, and even if Leverkusen score two, mm-hmm. they've still got the advantage to go through. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there are some the rumors are swirling um, in the transfer market, of course. We have a, a less than a week to go. And there's uh, there, there's something tied to Leverkusen here, and it's the uh, the potential for Sun Hung Min to move to Tottenham Hotspur. I, I'm seeing. I mean, I'm just waking up over here, Ross. I'm trying to catch up. Uh, I've seen. You know, I've got reports from several places that that he's in their sites that he's even going to have a medical um, for Spurs. I, I'm not sure that's happening in Germany or in London. And and conflicting reports of whether or not he's in Leverkusen's squad tonight. Uh, have you heard anything about that potential move? Well, again, there's conflicting reports even within the German media. The story was um, broken this morning by um, a regional paper here in Cologne. They said that he would be in London today for his medical. And then, um, from what I can see in the last half an hour, Sky Sports have said that he's in the squad tonight. So, again, it's very difficult to know what to believe um, in that that situation. I think it's a really interesting move for him because... um, you know, he's, he's a technically very good player, Son, but I, I wonder if the intensity of the Premier League would be a little bit too much for him. I think we've seen that players from Korea and Japan struggle with that intensity in England. You saw it at the World Cup, they struggled with the intensity, and it would be interesting to see how he would fit in in England and whether maybe he would set a precedent for other players coming across in the future. Is and, and for Leverkusen's part, um, is that a good bit of business? I mean, the, rep- the report is about twenty million pounds, maybe a little bit more than that, a couple million pounds more. Is that a good bit of business for Leverkusen and something that they can turn around? Would they use that money? Would they try to use that money quickly to strengthen before the window closes, or would they sit on it, maybe wait till January or into next summer? Mm. Well, maybe. I mean, I was thinking about it before we came on air, and I was wondering maybe if they were trying to push a deal just in case they didn't qualify for the Champions League. Maybe, maybe it's a kind of like an insurance thing where they can sell on a player, and then they have thirty million that would replace the money they would get from the Champions League. I don't know. I, I think when it's only one nil, I don't think that's probably what they're thinking. But I think um, that's probably a bit higher than what he's worth. I mean, thirty million euros, twenty million pounds. It's quite a lot of money for a player of that quality, but I suppose if it's in the English market and you're getting a player of Son's quality for £20 million, I suppose that is good business from Spurs' point of view as well, so um, I think it would suit both parties. And also Leverkusen have got a lot of good attacking players. They've got guys who can come in and replace him. Julian Brandt, one player that we spoke about uh, before, is a young player who's had a good start to the season, and I think he could come into the team and replace him uh, quite, quite quickly. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about. I mean, Leverkusen. Um, you know, obviously one of the the better sides in in Germany. We've talked about the likelihood of anybody challenging Bayern Munich this season. It feel it feels as though that's a a very small chance of that. Uh, when you look at uh, the second round of matches this from this past weekend, does anything stand out for you? Bayern, uh, Bayern Munich staying the course, winning away to Hoffenheim. Uh, Leverkusen won nothing over over Hanover. I'm not sure where Hanover is, but is that the kind of victory that gives them confidence heading into to the midweek Champions League match? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really early in the season to read whether having won the wins against Hanover is a good thing or a bad thing. It might be a good thing because, um, you know, we tend to associate Leverkusen with really high-pressing and exciting football, but to have shown this kind of pragmatic side in the first few weeks of the season, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, maybe that shows that they can go the distance with Bayern, I, I don't know, I mean, next week would certainly be a really interesting test for them, because they play Bayern Munich away from home, so I mean, that will certainly um, give an impression as to whether Leverkusen can compete long term, 
Um, what else stood out for me was um, Borussia Dortmund. I thought, again, they were excellent, um, really impressive. I, I, I still have my doubts as to whether they can um, keep pace with Bayern just because it's the first season of Thomas Tuchel, I think, I think even he would admit that those expectations are quite high. But so far, they've been really impressive, and I think by far the most impressive team in the Bundesliga. Um, and, then, and then the other end, you've got uh, one of Germany's Champions League hopefuls in Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are bottom of the league after two games, which, um, yeah, certainly is a bit of a surprise as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Gladbach, a disappointing start. They lose to Mainz on Sunday. You mentioned uh, Dortmund. Okay, so Dortmund, 4 nothing winners over Ingolstadt. And the narrative is already out there, Ross, that this is a... a a, a focused, lean, efficient sort of by, uh, sort of Borussia Dortmund team that is putting last year's disappointment behind them. They're obviously, you know, they've, they've made a transition uh, with Jurgen Klopp leaving. Is there is there truth to? I mean, again, it's early. It don't put a lot into these results quite yet. They may not keep up with Bayern Munich, but is there something to be said for Borussia Dortmund finding, you know, learning who they are again and maybe getting back to their to their old ways? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a coach of Tuchel's quality will certainly reaffirm those kind of initial kind of that kind of initial playing style, the the high pressing, the winning the ball back really high up the pitch, you know, creating chances, all those kind of things. You know, that was what Dortmund really impressed early on under Klopp. I mean, I think when Tuchel comes in, I think that's the sort of style they will try and carry forward. But what's really interesting about them this season is that they can do other things. I mean they can sit back and they can, you know, try and absorb a little bit of pressure. They can play out from the back so there's so many interesting changes but at the same time they are almost re-establishing the old kind of style that Klopp had brought in a few years ago I mean I think it's really early to say but based on what we've seen so far I've been really impressed I think I think what will decide Dortmund's season is probably the bigger games against Bayern against Wolfsburg against Schalke whether they can deliver on those kind of those kind of occasions I think will decide whether they will be in the top two or three now, in addition to their Bundesliga start, Dortmund also has this comeback in, in the Europa League qualifying playoffs. They were down 3 nothing to Odd Grenland and come back and win 4-3 in that tie. Um, how important is the Europa League to Dortmund? I mean, this is a team that over the last couple of years has been a serious contender for European, you know, for the top European prize. Is Europa League something that they want to show well in to, to send a message or, or just for their own edification? Where does it fall? Um, I think it probably is important to them. I mean, financially, it, it maybe isn't um, a top priority. I, I was reading yesterday, and I think the teams who qualify for the group stages of the Europa League get about €3 million Euros each, which is a massive drop in revenue from being in the Champions League, of course. Um, but I think in terms of the glory and the prestige, I think a team like Dortmund would value that. You know, their fans are really traditional, and they would love to play teams like Celtic, for example, in, in the Europa League, or Liverpool, or whatever. So I think they'll take it very seriously. And of course, at the end of it now, there's the carrot of a Champions League place. Now, if Dortmund have a bit of a difficult season, they might have that to fall back on. They might have the, the opportunity to try and uh, get back into the Champions League through the Europa League. So I think actually with Dortmund and Schalke, I think you'll see both teams really pushing for it because um, that carrot at the end of it is, is so big. Is there a difference? Do you think there's a difference for a, a team? Again, you know, whatever their expectations and their ambitions, is there a difference for a team like Dortmund to start out in this competition, be working towards a Europa League title, knowing that's always the goal, rather than one of these clubs that is qualified for the Champions League and then drops down into the Europa League after being ousted in the group stage? Is there, is there a mentality difference? It seems like, honestly, there's a bit of disappointment when you go from Champions League to Europa League. 
and maybe somebody like a Dortmund uh, put, brings a little bit more juice to the tournament. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly going into the tournament, I mean, they'll be able to get through all these early rounds because they have that in their mind that, you know, once they get into the the, the sort of the, the latter rounds after Christmas, you'll maybe start to get some big games. And I mean, I think the Europa League is really underrated for that kind of thing. I mean, even though the finances aren't very aren't very lucrative, you get some really big games with, between big clubs because, of, like you say, a lot of teams come out of the Champions League. There are a lot of teams who maybe underperform and went to the Europa League. Teams like Liverpool, for example, would probably go into the Europa League every so often. So, I mean, I think I think there's certainly um, yeah, an element of truth to that. But I, I think what certainly helped Dortmund in the early rounds is that rather than playing meaningless pre-season games, they've actually been playing competitive European football. And, OK, at the time, it maybe is a bit of a problem because they go into these early rounds not as well prepared as other teams. But when you look at it now, a few weeks on they're probably in a much better shape because they've been playing competitive football rather than friendlies that maybe aren't as beneficial. I'm seeing a story that Tickle has uh, banned pizza and pasta. How, <laughs> how important is that? I mean, look, you know, you, I, I, I just go, maybe as a, maybe the, the discussion is how a, a manager comes into it, especially to a team like Dortmund, which has had so much recent success, which had had an iconic manager in Jurgen Klopp, and is able to stamp, put his own stamp on the team. And success breeds success. So coming out of the gate strong is going to serve him well through this season. And, and you know, obviously it looks like the right choice at the moment, but th- that's not an easy task, especially replacing someone like Klopp. It's not quite replacing Sir Alex, but it is difficult. Yeah, I, I think so. But I, I think the, probably the thing that stands in Tuchel's advantage is that uh, Jurgen Klopp's era ended quite poorly. I mean, for the last 18 months... It was um, a bit of an odd relationship because Jurgen Klopp is is so revered in Dortmund. He, you know, he's he's a, he's, a, he's quite unique in German football because he is of the kind of ilk of an old-fashioned football manager, not like a head coach like Thomas Tuchel. Jurgen Klopp was a bit more of a, a manager, and he had that kind of personality that Sir Alex Ferguson had or Bill Shankly with Liverpool in, in, in years gone by. Um, the fans absolutely adored him, but with Tuchel coming in, um, okay, there's a really a lot of media spotlight on him, but I think actually having somebody in there who deals with all the minor details and somebody who loves to be on the, the training pitch, coaching the players, I think that's probably the right move overall because I think you saw at the end of last season, Dortmund's game was all over the place. I mean, you could see that there was poor organisation, the use of the ball was really poor, and I think Tuchel has done a lot to try and stamp that out in his first few weeks um, as Dortmund coach. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, a little bit about the rest of the league here. Um, Wolfsburg, obviously, uh, a, a pretty fancy team. Uh, with with this an attractive style, they they get a draw on the weekend against Cologne. Um, tell me if that's uh, a little disappointing. Obviously, uh, away from home, not always easy in the Bundesliga. But there's also the continuing saga of Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, it's a massive disappointment. I mean, I think if there was a moment to sum up Kevin De Bruyne's um, transfer saga right now, it was in the 90th minute. Here's Kevin De Bruyne through on goal, Germany's footballer of the year. You expect him to burst the net with it. Instead, he tries a really fancy kind of roll his foot over the ball and he misses the chance that could have given Wolfsburg three points. Um, and so, yeah, I think regardless of what Klaus Aloff, the, the, the sporting director, says, I think there's absolutely no doubt that this transfer saga is having an effect on his performances. He looks a lot more agitated. You know, he gets himself involved in little situations that he wouldn't have got involved in last year. Um, and... I think the longer it drags on, the more chance that Wolfsburg will drop points. I mean, Freddie's a big game against Schalke. Um, they've already said that they expect Kevin De Bruyne to play in that match. 
Um, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or not based on the last two games, but uh, I mean it's going to be interesting to see what happens before the end of the, the transfer window because this week we've had so many different reports. I mean, we've had reports that Man City want him in the next 48 hours. We've had reports that Bayern Munich want to sign him and loan him back to Wolfsburg. We've had reports that right. PSG want to sign him. Yeah. There's also been a report that Man United want to sign him as well, but they don't want to make the bid public because of previous transfer failures. So, I mean, it, it's <laughs> really incredible to keep track of and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens yeah, yeah, you, you, Ross you stole my thunder I was going to talk about the absurdity uh, of the rumors swirling around the Bruyne at this point and, and, and I've seen something even in, uh, as ridiculous as well he's having sleepless nights over this well maybe he is but come on that's really, that's really where we're at now it's this needs to have a resolution and Kevin De Bruyne is very upset and he wants to push for and th- th- all, again all of that may be true but Eventually, this is going to sort itself out, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know why Wolfsburg, with all the distractions, would would be depending on him at this point. Now, again, I ask the question, and we're talking about some of the biggest, richest clubs in the world with uh, with Manchester United, and PSG, and Bayern Munich in play. If if those are the ones that are actually rumored at now, uh, right now, with City being the the club most uh, uh, most often linked to him, is that uh, is a it's a good bit of business for for Wolfsburg, clearly. And uh, what does this mean for them going forward? Uh, well, to be honest, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure if it is good business because okay. really if you're a team like Wolfsburg going into the Champions League, you need your star quality. And if they don't have a player like Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, I don't think they're going to do very well. And I think even in the Bundesliga, I think they might struggle to finish in the top three positions and get automatic Champions League qualification for next year. <laughs> so even if they get 17 million euros or 80 million euros, whatever the supposed fee is, it's already too late in, in the window to buy the best players. So I, I don't really know if it's good business or not. And I think what would probably suit Wolfsburg is to keep him for one more season and then sell him to Bayern Munich. I think that's probably the ideal situation for them. Um, as for the player, I, to be honest, I'm not sure as to whether he's necessarily first, but whether he, whether he plays in Germany or in England or whatever. I don't think it's a massive concern to him, but really, um, whether Wolfsburg want to keep him or whether Man City want to get him now, it's, it's, it's really hard to know what to believe right now because like you say, there's, it's the absurdity of so many different reports and um, there was talk uh, yesterday about Kevin De Bruyne's agent going to Manchester to finalise the deal this, is, this was from Belgian media so generally you'd think that would be well respected but obviously that wasn't the case and uh, today he's at Wolfsburg's training ground so uh, you know, it's, it's impossible to know what to believe in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and we we come to that that, that issue again, uh, Ross. Where it's it's in the modern world, in the modern uh, modern day footballers actually, you know, they have the power, not necessarily the club. So if if De Bruyne is just gonna, you know, if he is going to be upset, if he is going to be unsettled, if he's not going to be focused on what Wolfsburg is trying to do this year, even if it's not good business on paper, it's probably worthwhile for them to get him out of the squad and sell him for as much money as they can get this season because um, we've seen this story before yeah yeah, yeah maybe, maybe that's true I just I just think that you know for a club like Wolfsburg who are bankrolled by Volkswagen and they have you know almost endless um, you know um, wallets of money I mean I don't think they really have to sell him right now but true. I, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure they would I'm sure they would rather have a player of that quality going into the Champions League because the last time they were in the Champions League they had an absolute disaster um, under Steve McLaren so I don't think they want to have that situation again 
looking, I'm looking at the results. Uh, I just talked to uh, to our friend David Cartledge in Spain yesterday, Ross. We talked a little bit. First of all, there's not a lot of goals in Spain right now. Who knows why? Uh, we're also talking about uh, some of the underdogs, some of the smaller clubs, and certainly the, the promoted clubs. Uh, doing some some interesting things to start the season, getting some results. Uh, obviously, Real Madrid held by Sporting Gijón was a big deal. Uh, is, is there any are there any surprises so far? I'm seeing Darmstadt one uh, one with Schalke. That's that's got to be a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think we talked about this the last time that you kind of expect these teams to have good starts to the season because there's that novelty factor around the clubs and that they want to really make an impact and and really show what they can do. I mean, Darmstadt's interesting because they were tactically very, very good on on Saturday. They played a, a deliberate long ball game because they knew that Schalke's normal centre-half, Matija Nastasic, was out. So um, they just threw the ball long into the mixer all the time and, and every so often it would fall into a good shooting opportunity. And I think I think, I think Darmstadt um, had some good chances in the first half, albeit okay in the second half. Um, they could have lost maybe 2 or 3-1. But um, yeah, they've had a good start to the season. Uh, I would also say that um, Köln for a good start as well. You know they've they've won one game and drawn one game, and um, they've invested well this summer. They've brought in some good attacking talent, um, and I think yeah, I think that's a really encouraging start to the season for them. I mean, unfortunately, you know the top four is the big the big boys anyway: Dortmund, Bayern, uh, Leverkusen, and Schalke. So there's not a great deal of surprise that you would be getting in Spain or or in England. All right, let me let me turn to uh, Friday. We had Hertha uh, Berlin and, and, uh, and Werder Bremen. That's a uh, a game of a game of particular interest for U.S. fans. There's a couple of U.S. internationals connected to to those two, each of those teams respectively. the The big move for Americans this uh, this summer was Aaron Johansson going to Werder Bremen. There was an opportunity for playing time. There's expect expectation that he would step right in um, as a replacement for for a departed striker. How has he hit? Uh, how has he hit the ground so far with uh, with Werder? Um, I, I, to be honest, I thought he was quite poor on, on Friday. Um, he didn't really get himself involved in the game. Um, it wasn't really a great game anyway, but um, his, his link-up play wasn't so good. And I don't think there was a real understanding yet with Anthony Uja, the other striker at Bremen. Um, Bremen um, play with two natural centre-forwards and they play with one number 10 behind them. So there's a lot of attacking service there for, for Johansson and Uja up front. But... Um, I wasn't really that impressed, um, to be honest. But I think it's very early days in the season, and um, obviously John Anthony Brooks was was also um, involved in that game. But he came on with about thirty seconds to go, and he played up front for the last the last minute of the game. So I'm not I'm not sure what that says about um, his current form um, yeah. at Hertha Berlin. I don't know what. The, yeah, I mean, I w- I'd be interested to know where he is in the packing order there right now, because clearly he's a player that Jurgen Klinsmann rates. As a potential, um, uh, you know, fixture in the U.S. men's national team at center back, uh, he had a rough summer uh, in a lot of ways for the U.S. And uh, whether or not he uh, can find his form in, in Germany will say a lot about his future. Um, okay, before we move on to uh, to a very different story that's happening at the lower divisions, is there anything else from the Bundesliga so far that stands out for you that that you're uh, that you know as we move into the third the third round of matches coming up this weekend, uh, Wolfsburg, Schalke. Uh, Stuttgart, Eintracht, Bayern Munich, and Leverkusen. That's obviously a big match on on Saturday. Where's the Where's the focus? Um, for this weekend, yeah, definitely Bayern Munich and, and Bayern Leverkusen. I think that's going to be a fascinating game because um, obviously we talked about Leverkusen's um, high pressing style. Obviously, they've not been able to replicate that this season. But 
I think if they get themselves focused, they could really um, do some damage on Friday because Bayern Munich uh, don't have any centre-halves really of, of particular note. Dante hasn't played uh, for the last few weeks. Jerome Boateng, of course, is suspended because he was sent off last week. And Mehdi Benatia um, probably will be injured for the next three or four weeks. So I think that's a great opportunity for Leverkusen to really get some momentum. If they can go there and get three points, that could be the springboard that they need to have a really good run this season. Um, one other club I think that's really interesting right now is um, Stuttgart because they, for the last few years they've, you know, they've been in and around the relegation zone. They've brought in a new manager this year, but at the same time they've always had a lot of really good attacking players. I mean, I think a lot of other Bundesliga clubs would love to have the attacking depth that they have, and they had 40 shots in their first few, their first two games of the season, and um, yeah, they they they've lost both games. Um, so that'll be a massive disappointment to them. But I think uh, based on what we've seen, I think Stuttgart will be safe. And they might be a very interesting team to watch once they get some rhythm um, halfway through the season. All right, fair enough. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this. And, and, and Ross, when I when I um, got you on the line this morning, you said you hadn't necessarily seen this, but we can talk about the, the situation at uh, at uh, RB Leipzig right now with the backing of of Red Bull. Uh, I think most people, even casual observers of the Bundesliga, understand the ownership rules there. How does Leipzig fit into the wider culture of, of German football right now? And, and what's interesting to me is, uh, how are they different from a club like Wolfsburg? Um, well, for obviously from some background, um, RB Leipzig uh, were formed six years ago, uh, about 2009. They bought the license of a fifth-year club uh, in, in the area. Um, the Red Bull um, de- delegation had been looking at other clubs. I mean, they've been looking at clubs for years, and... Um, they decided to buy out one of the smaller clubs um, in Leipzig, which was a very unpopular move. I mean, you obviously, you put to understand that a lot of these smaller clubs have got really hardcore supports. Um, I mean, in Leipzig, for example, you've got a team called Lokomotive Leipzig, who had a great history before in the in the East German League, and and some of their fans are extremely hardcore, and and they they thwarted a, an attempt at a takeover from Leipzig before they actually bought the li- the license of another team. Um, so uh, yeah, they 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 don't have the fifty plus one um, um, sort of rule in, in, ingrained in the club, for example. So they they don't have a members association where fans can vote for uh, board members. Um, generally speaking, the for, for for the last few years they've had um, I think fourteen or fifteen uh, board members and. Sorry, not board members. Um, just just general paid up members. But to buy a membership, you have to pay something like twenty thousand euros. So I mean, it really is for the elite few. And if you look at a lot of the names on the list of this of this members organisation, um, it tends to be um people who are involved in Red Bull. So it it really is a, a kind of a marketing operation almost for them for Red Bull. And um, generally, there is the the realization that eventually they are going to get into the Bundesliga because um, the DFL, the the league that runs the Bundesliga and the second Bundesliga, they've not really done a lot to try and stop it. They set three um, three kind of uh, three kind of things they had to change last season to get a license. So that would involve, for example, um, a supervisory board, which in Germany is basically something that is um, electable. So you have to have people who elect the people on the supervisory board. Um, you have to change your logo, for example, uh, because obviously the, the logo was um, just the Red Bull logo. They had to change that. So they, they, have, they, have, they have obviously adhered to all of these measures, but 
Um, I, I find it quite interesting that a lot of teams who maybe aren't as successful have had to, um, you know, they've had to go along with the 50 plus one rules and all these kind of financial fair play rules, but yet Red Bull Leipzig can come into the league and they can spend what they want and they can switch players between Red Bull Salzburg, uh, you know, whenever they want. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting and it certainly um, is not popular at all wherever you go in Germany, I think. Uh, I think that's probably the worrying thing is that, you know, we talked about, you know, the kind of fan problem in Germany that that might intensify when they get into the, the Bundesliga. Yeah, certainly. And uh, the reason this is coming up right at this uh, this very moment is that uh, um, Union Berlin fans are planning a 15-minute silent protest uh, over the, the, the obviously the corporate backing, the spending, the, the, the oddness of... Uh, of what Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig is at this point, and the, you could not talk, you could not have two teams further from each other in terms of the spectrum. Uh, Union Berlin, uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of the cult clubs of Germany, certainly a, 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 a club that has fans, you know, very intimately involved in the operation of that club. So that's, uh, that it makes sense that they would be someone that that the the supporters there would be the people to to make a statement about what Leipzig is doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like you said, you couldn't get two clubs further from each other. Um, Union Berlin fans, very community-orientated. I mean, they they built part of their own stadium, um, you know. So I mean, I think that I think that tells you everything you need to know about the commitment of those fans. Um, I think last year they already had a protest against Leipzig, um, if memory serves me right, and they dressed in black. Everybody in the stadium dressed in black. I don't know if you if you remember that. It did. You I know, mean, it was it was quite uh, prominent on Twitter and stuff like that. So uh, I think a lot of these clubs do protest quite regularly. I mean, there's been the No to Red Bull Leipzig campaign. You tend to see these banners um, at most matches involving uh, Leipzig. Um, last weekend, when they played uh, St. Pauli, St. Pauli refused to show the Red Bull logo on their website. Um, so when it so when they were obviously advertising tickets and it said St. Pauli against. Red Bull Leipzig, there was no logo for RB Leipzig, and they obviously were trying to prove a point that um, what they're doing is obviously not uh, particularly good, and I don't think it's a good development for German football, because I think you can see that a lot of these teams who are bankrolled by companies, Wolfsburg, Bayer Leverkusen, RB Leipzig, Hoffenheim, they are becoming ever more prominent ahead of the clubs who maybe have to... um, have to fight for their cash a little bit more. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, certainly a culture clash there in Germany. It's very interesting to see down in the second division right now. And if uh, if Leipzig, if RB Leipzig ends up moving up to the Bundesliga, I can only imagine how much uh, how much that will be in the uh, general discussion about the future uh, of German football. Ross Dunbar from Fox Soccer and DW Sports joining us to talk about the Bundesliga and beyond. Ross, fantastic as always. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. No problem, it's always a pleasure. Have a good day. There goes Ross, good stuff from him. We open up the phone lines when we come back. And I'm going to have a little discussion about what makes for growing American soccer. Some news yesterday. Be right back, Soccer Morning World, SoccerTalk.com. This Sunday, it's the return of MLS Rivalry Week as the New York Red Bulls take on DC United live on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. Eastern. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to me on Rabble.tv as I share my thoughts and analysis live during the 90 minutes. 
With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by post- posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Red Bulls against D.C. on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, Wednesday morning. Ready to talk to you, the people, the American soccer public. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Twitter is killing me right now. That's the worst thing I could possibly say. Excuse me. Twitter is making me depressed right now. It's, It's unbelievable what's happening in the world. But we move on. We talk soccer. Let's do that. Let's distract ourselves here. Um, take a moment to reflect on how messed up the world is and then move on to talk about some soccer. 646-832-3909. Before we dive into the calls, and I see that they're coming in, just a, a quick statement here from me on something that, that came out last night uh, on the interwebs, on the Twitter nets. The announcement from a couple of gentlemen who do a podcast and a TV show on NBC Sports. Well, they wear, they wear blazers. They they talk about soccer. They're both gentlemen from over the pond who have made their home in the United States for a very long time. They're very popular. They're very popular. I cannot uh, hate on the fact that, that a lot of people listen to them and watch the show. And good for them. They're having a convention. These two gentlemen. They're calling it BlazerCon. I'm sure you've seen it if you're an American soccer fan because it's everywhere. It uh, it says the first annual BlazerCon was motivated, motivated by a desire to create a forum where the best global football minds could engage directly with an audience of Americans from across the nation who have fallen truly, madly, deeply in love with the game. Essentially, what we've got here is British people selling you on British soccer, and hey, you know what? Again, if that's your thing, that's fine. It's fine. I am just continually gobsmacked, to borrow a phrase, to borrow a term, by the American soccer public's need to find validation through the accents of British people selling them the sport. I mean, we are incapable, incapable of of creating a completely unique and truly American soccer culture without taking our cues from somebody else. And maybe that's maybe that's just the way it is. Maybe there's nothing we can do about that. Maybe as as fairly new kids on the block, there's there's nothing we can do but take our cues from people with accents. But I'm I'm looking at these panels, and by, you know I know there's money going to uh, Hope for Warriors, so that's good. Uh, and I've read, you know, they get a write up in the New York Times. These guys, and it says hey, they're going to have a convention for soccer fans in Brooklyn, and everybody, blah blah blah, four hundred and twenty five dollars. I'm sorry, two hundred twenty five dollars to go, two day admission pass to hear people talk like Richard Scudmore, executive cha- chairman of the Premier League, and Ian Eyre, chairman of Liverpool. And Farron Soriano, City Football Group and Manchester City FC Chairman. I'm sorry, CEO. Uh, Barry Hearn, 
Honorary President, Leighton Orient, Chairman, Matchroom Sports. James Pelota. Okay, there's an American. Chairman of AS Roma. Ray Hudson, who is obviously a fixture in the world of American soccer broadcasting, has been here for a long time. I, it's just, I am, it, 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 I don't begrudge them the right to do this. And again, the proceeds are going to charity. How can I possibly hate on that? But again, we, we, we are continually taking our cues from, from other cultures. And it's just, it, it's one of those things. I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm in a position here that no matter what I say, it's going to sound like sour grapes. I'll hold up my hand and admit to that. I'm an American soccer fan with an American accent who wants to talk to talk about American soccer most of the time. I mean, we just talked about Germany. I'm fine doing it. And I have no shame in where I'm from or, or my appreciation of the sport. I don't think that Ross Dunbar cares about my accent. But Americans certainly do. Americans certainly care where you're, where you sound like you're from when you talk about soccer. I, I mean, we just have a nation of Anglophiles. That's, that, that's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, and, and maybe we can eventually carve out a niche here. And, and the funny thing about this is that just, I mean, mere days before this thing dropped, Trevor Hayward and I got an email. That asked about our interest in, in perhaps putting together something very similar to this. With Soccer Morning as a potential centerpiece or, or involved. I mean, I'm not a centerpiece, but involved. It wouldn't be Soccer Morning Con, but it would have been something along these lines that would have featured Soccer Morning as a contributing part of the event. So that's part of it. It's just that's that's funny to me. And you know what? And I, and I say this with with all uh, humility as much as I can. I know that, that that convention up there in Brooklyn will probably sell out. It probably will. I imagine that lots of people will go and have a great time. I don't know about the price. Again, charity, et cetera, et cetera. It's probably cost a lot of money to get all those people on board uh, or get the, the, the space, even if they are donating their time because of the charity element, to limit the access to... And again, it's not necessarily that you're having a convention and you're having a bunch of British soccer voices there. Let's bring in Richard Scudamore. Let's bring in Ian Eyre. It's not that. It's that you doing it here, selling it to Americans and making it again. There's this, there's this notion that they're growing the game here. When my opinion, my, my personal opinion is that if you're growing the game here, then you're, you're, the game is MLS. The game is the U.S. national team. And don't hitch your wagon to the national team because it, because it benefits you. I would love, you know what I would love? I'm going to say this right now. Okay. I, I, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible here. I'm not angry about it. I have nothing against these people individually. But I would love to be able to stick my tongue deep in my cheek, and say things like, the United States is going to win the World Cup. I don't get to do that. I don't. You know what happens if Jason Davis, American soccer guy, says the United States is going to win the World Cup, whether I mean it or not? What's the world come down on my head? Are you kidding me, stupid yank? How could you possibly think that? And you know what? We have a lot of self-hating soccer fans in this country. A lot of self-hating American soccer fans. Those are my favorite people. You are my favorite. You self-hating American soccer fans are my favorite people. 
the the American soccer fan who was born and raised here, who maybe has a grandfather from Europe, who wants to claim expertise on the global game, act like you have some sort of greater understanding, preach to Americans about how terrible MLS is, how bad the national team is, how we'll never have a star player here, we'll never have a good team. That those people drive me nuts, and and I'm I, my perception is that much of the audience that might be heading to Brooklyn on November in November would be those kind of people. I, I mean, it's just you know, again, my personal feelings about this are very they're very convoluted, they're very complicated. Six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. We don't have to talk about this. We don't. You don't have to come. You don't have to call me up and 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 agree with me. You don't have to come and call me up. If you want to call me up and disagree with me, that's absolutely your right. Feel free to do so. Feel free to. I have the I have the same opinions, and you guys have heard. If you've been listening to me long enough, you've heard me go off on the on the need for the English voice in the American soccer broadcast booth. How that is a thing that says a lot about where our American soccer culture is. Because here's the thing. Not only do we have an inferiority complex, which is evident every single day, we don't trust ourselves. American soccer doesn't trust itself. American soccer doesn't trust itself to make itself American. That's the inferiority complex feeding that problem. We don't, we don't know if, oh, if, if you are truly American, is that good enough? Is that, you know, go to, the, the, there are, there are some distinct worlds out there. This is, one of the things that makes American soccer fascinating, but at the same time, it's frustrating. Go to an event like the NC, uh, NSCAA convention, the coaches, the national coaches convention. Go to that event. It's huge. It's massive. There's a lot of people walking around in track suits. There's a lot of people walking around in polos with club logos on them. I don't mean professional logos. I mean clubs. It's a lot of college kids, a lot of college coaches, a lot of college uh, soccer elements, people hawking their wares. That's also, that, that's American soccer. To me, that's American soccer. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Then go to, go to the local soccer pub on a Saturday morning and watch the people who, who watch the Premier League there. Tell me, tell me what the difference is. Roberto, you're on the air. What's up? You know something, Jason? I would go to that convention anyway, and I'm not any self-hating MLS fan, but you look at the various huge amount of, uh, I guess you could say, a new generation of fans that are coming in for the sport to rise, um, I guess you could say, the culture of soccer in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my fundamental problem with the notion that you're selling, um, that you're trying to grow the sport in America. You're trying to help it grow, and you're giving a place for all these fans to come together, and your panel reads like a who's who of European football. I mean, good for them that they got Ian Air to show up. I know that 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 uh, one of them has uh, direct ties to, to Liverpool. Good for them that they got Farron Soriano to show up. Good for them that they got uh, Rebecca Lowe and and Richard Scudamore, the, the, the freaking executive chairman of the Premier League. Good for them. But how does that help American soccer? Because American soccer's growth is tied to American soccer. You can get, look, we could have millions and millions of people watching the Premier League every weekend. That means it would be a popular sport in America, but would that actually feed anything in terms of the sport's actual growth here? Please. 
and let's get the biggest names in American journal soccer journalism, the well, biggest I mean, like, names like, in MLS. If you were, like but, how about this? We'll throw this out there because Roberto's on the line. And I, I, again, I, I will fully admit, I sound like I'm whining. I sound like sour grapes. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the same business. It's hard for me not to to come off like a guy who is coveting what they have. Okay, and they, I know they work. They both work very hard. They're they're both TV guys as well. They have other things going on beyond their soccer thing. I, I'm focused solely on this. I don't have a documentary on U.S. soccer coming out next month. It's not it's not happening for me. Uh, but if you were interested at all in sort of some some sort of counter programming to this, and I don't mean like right on that same day. I don't mean like we're gonna show down with them like like West Side Story style and have a dance off. I just mean. <laughs> Like if, if we put together something here, whether it's us or World Soccer Talk or, or uh, Backheel.com or, or we reached out to some other people, I know there are marketing companies and American soccer interests in this country who may have a plan, uh, may want to do something. If you were interested in some sort of ca- American soccer counter programming to this, let me know. Send me a tweet. I don't know. Send us, a, send us something at Backheel.com. Let us know because... I'd be curious to know if there's any interest in that or if this is where it lies right now, Roberto. This is what people want. People want a convention with Richard Scudamore talking about the Premier League in America. That may, that's what we want. Yeah, of course, of course. And I, I don't disagree with your idea at all. I, I'm for it. That's for sure. Okay, fair enough. What else do you want to talk about, Roberto? I don't want to um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I um, I just wanted my um, I guess I could switch forward to um, real football now. Um, please. I just I don't agree with the fact that Chelsea would want Pogba. Firstly, I, I don't think he would go. I think it's um, I don't think it's necessary for him to go to Chelsea yet, at least at this moment, for um, a huge amount of price. You got a hundred million, but it's no, I'm not I'm not for it at all. I think if he does go, he would have to go after Euro 2016. Okay. Uh. Well, I mean. How much? Wait, what's the price tag on him right now? <laughs> I heard a hundred million, hundred million pounds, hundred million pounds. So something like a hundred and thirty. Yeah. Wait, what is that? That's like that's like a hundred and what thirty million euros or something like that. <coughs> Excuse something me, around there. I, I, it's going to break the transfer record. That's what I've heard. I I think we're sorry. I've been talking too much. I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves on Pogba. He's obviously an immensely mm-hmm. talented player. Um, and, and I think we got ahead of ourselves on, on Bale. I think Real Madrid, uh, they can afford it. And, and maybe that's part of it, too. Well, they can afford it in the sense that they're a giant club who has incredible revenue. They do have some issues with the Spanish government, uh, with something to consider. But I, I, we, it's, it's out of control. It is. It's out of control. And, and he definitely should wait until after Euro 2016. In my mind, I'm with you on that, Roberto. I just, I don't, if, you give, if you put that much money into one player... You just put so much on his shoulders. You make it so difficult for him to live up to that transfer fee. And look, I I know the younger a player is, and the more he's shown, the more, the higher the price is. But really, and and Papa showed no signs of being fragile uh, mentally. But at the same time, like, how do you walk into a team like Chelsea, an established team with a uh, with an overbearing manager, or any, or any club, I mean, any club, Manchester United, Chelsea, PSG, with big figures in it, and, and you're the hundred and you're, you're the hundred million pound player. I mean, that's just got to be hard. And that was the pressure Bale was going into when he went to Real Madrid and Kaká as well before Ronaldo broke his transfer record as well. Yeah. But yeah. I'm telling you, he's not, 
I don't think he, I don't think he feels the pressure. I hope he doesn't feel the pressure of being worth a hundred million, but it's just not necessary for him to go at this age for that amount of money. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Roberto, man. Um, you got anything else on the, on the transfer market before I let you no, know? No, I'm good. I appreciate it, man. No, have a good day, Jason. All right, there goes Bill. I'm sorry, Bill. Roberto in uh, Connecticut. Let's talk to Bill in Queens. What's up, Bill? Hey, Jason. I wanted to uh, jump back in on the, uh, the U.S. thing you were talking about a couple seconds ago. Okay, fair enough. All right, so the one thing about having a bunch of outsiders, uh, you know, uh, foreigners, you know, speaking on a panel about U.S. soccer is that I feel like a lot of the leading U.S. voices or the people that you would want to have there, your Don Garbers, your Sunil Galatis, are just going to speak as, as salesmen for no, the league sure, and, sure. and for the program. Okay, well, that like, like, if we're going to get an objective kind of opinion about um, how, you know, the sport is developing in this country, that we do kind of need an outside voice because the inside voices are always going to tell us I, that I don't, I don't think these people uh, are talking about U.S. Training. soccer. Bill, I don't think these people are coming up on a panel to talk about the growth of U.S. soccer. They're coming up to talk about the Premier League. They're coming up to talk about Liverpool in the case of e Air. They're coming up to talk about City Football Group. I mean, Soriano may talk Man- uh, NYCFC, but it's going to be through the prism of what they've done in Manchester. I mean, James Pelota is not going to come up and talk about American soccer. He's talking about Roma. He's talking about selling the the brand of Roma in America. I mean, that's remember here. And, and look, I, I I lament the condition that leads to a very difficult path for American soccer concerns. And I'll include MLS and NESL and anybody else who wants to put money into the American game. It's a tough situation. You've got to compete with the Premier League and with the La Liga and with all of these other things that are streaming in here. That's that that that's a situation that I, I don't. I'm not angry at anybody. I'm just sort of disappointed that that's the, that's the condition under which American soccer has to grow. And here we are with, again, the outward notion of growing the game in America or, or um, you know, giving Americans a place to come together. And America's sport of the future since 1972, which I know they love to say, and all they're selling is the foreign game. Right, and it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you look at the, the big European leagues, they get better ratings uh, than our domestic league here. Okay. And if you're going to get, for the sake of argument, if, if you're going to get a million people into, you know, one of those leagues every year, if you can just get a handful of those to come out and support their local MLS team, then you're going to grow well, the sport. Well, again, and, I'm, not, I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm not so. saying that, it, that people shouldn't watch the Premier League. I'm not saying that people shouldn't care and, and not be interested in what these people have to say. As a soccer fan, I'm interested in what they have to say. But you've made this an exclusive, a very exclusive event. People dropping two hundred over two hundred bucks to go for a couple of days, and again to listen, and, and, and it's under the auspices of um, of this is what Americans want, and that's what offends me because I think Americans sh- well, okay, well, one thing what they should and shouldn't want, I guess that's not my place to judge, but again to sort of dress this up in red, white, and blue, which is what has happened pretty regularly over the course of the last couple of years, and again hitching the wagon to the U.S. men's national team. That to me that that doesn't I don't know that doesn't fly, that doesn't fly for me. I mean I, I'm again I can't I can't sit here and 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 praise the U.S. national team and then go ah oh, ha ha I'm you know I'm obviously just kidding. I look listen to my accent. It, it must mean that I'm making a joke because no one's going to take me seriously. Right. No one's going to give me the benefit of the doubt. So again you have you have a very unique situation where the amount of of leeway given on this stuff is is insane to me that's all i i, I don't okay I, I i've said this several times i'm not 
I'm not begrudging anybody the right to go out and do their thing and find their niche. And they found their niche. And I'm glad they exist because it actually shows that there is a market for this stuff, that I, what I'm trying to do. But, but on a bigger picture, beyond my interest, beyond this show, beyond the future of American soccer commentary by Americans, there is the issue of Americans refusing to allow for an American culture to develop without having to turn to, oh, that guy's in, uh, you know, this guy's trying to teach me about, uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's sorry, sorry, Bill. I mean, I, I sound, I sound, probably sound like no, a jerk right well, now. It's, it's, like I tweeted you earlier, we're still in the mimicry stage. That we're still in a stage of imitation. But when will when will we not acquiring Bill? our our influence? Okay, but and when it's will we be not? Be a matter of time until someone decides to act on that and make it, you know, something unique and 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 ours. Okay, all right. Okay, so uh, the mimicry mimicry elements again, uh, taking our cues from uh, from um, influences abroad. I understand that. Uh, you know, I, I I've defended the sons of Ben against allegations of fake hooliganism, which you know is is not a thing that they're really doing. And when uh, an English writer comes over here and says, "Oh, look, they're play," you know, they're play acting, that offends me because you know these guys are just trying to support their team. Maybe they're borrowing a little bit. There are some sometimes when it goes too far. You know, uh, the, the the stupid fight between NYCFC fans and the Red Bull fans and the "Who are you?" chants from a bunch of Americans. Come on. You know, they're, they're, well, it's like you know when 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 anyone when anyone starts playing guitar, they you know they learn a couple Green Day and Nirvana songs, and then after that, they try to start doing things that are more uniquely theirs. I mean, you know, the Beatles uh, had all the time at Hamburg playing Chuck Berry songs and put in the ten thousand hours they needed to develop their own style and their own talents. And right now, artistic, we're still in that phase. Artistic impression. I, I don't know if I'm going to buy that analogy. It, it, okay, it, it's there. Bill, it's it's on the table. Thanks for the comment. I'm not sure I buy in that analogy that somehow this is like the Beatles playing Chuck Berry songs. Ah, uh, but it's uh, I don't know. Let's uh, let's talk to Chris in Connecticut. What's going on, Chris? Hey, Jason, how you doing? This is a great show. It touches on uh, has touched so far on two things that I, I'm really uh, uh, into: Bundesliga soccer and also this the uh, American side of the sport. Um, I'm uh, I'm German American. I grew up in Germany. Uh, moved to the states at age 17. So uh, got the American accent. Uh, yeah. So I can wow. Sound like uh, <laughs> <laughs> sound like everybody else. Well, my dad my dad was a serviceman over there. So I'm I'm actually uh, uh sort of kind of like uh, some of those guys on our gotcha. on US national yes. got the dual background going. So. I understand. That's good. Um, I I agree with you uh, to, for the most part about um, this. Uh, latching on to the English standard as the gold standard, um, being, you know, counterproductive in developing our game here. Um, but I do think that American fans, well, I, I hope at least, I think I have that, that optimism that American fans are sophisticated enough to be able to hold uh, multiple identities when it comes to their soccer. I mean, I, I do. Okay. I have a okay. team I grew up with. I've been a Reds fan since the... You know, since zero hours since they uh, were founded, um, so I, you know, I feel like um, we can do multiple identities, and I do not, but I do, I do agree with you that this, um, as the other caller put it, this mimicry is taking on forms that are almost absurd because um, I feel that this uh, the, the blazer wearing men that whom I followed when they were on ESPN um, are now they've hitched their wagon to. NBC and NBC's gone all in on uh, English soccer, and I find that a little bit disturbing as well. 
Uh, you know, and, and again, we come back to questions. Thanks for the call, Chris. We come back to questions yep. of the of the free market and capitalism and you know business decisions. And NBC Sports is putting their money into a product that they think can pay dividends for them on on the backside. They're going to make money out of backing the English Premier League, and good for them. Uh, I missed a call from Washington. Washington, call me back. Um, I at the same time, and, and look, that's fine. That's that's fine. I, I I like watching the Premier League. I do. Don't get, I, I do. I but that doesn't mean that. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a difficult question. It has a lot to do with our identity as soccer fans in this country. And look, there's a very good point to be made by Chris that we are somehow multiple personalities as we go along here, as we grow up as a soccer nation. We want to be, uh, we want to be many different things at once. And uh, look, there's plenty of room with the growing fan base of of soccer fans in this country for there to there, for there to be many niches. I'm not uh, again. I'm not. I'm not begrudging anybody the right to throw this thing, or put it up as uh, as interesting. Uh, again, uh, you know, would would I listen to to Richard Scudamore for an hour and on panel? Probably. Yeah. If I give him the opportunity. Uh, again, I'm not paying 225 bucks for it, but I would probably go and listen. Uh, with that, but does that mean that it's okay to to dress the whole event in the notion that this is? What American soccer fans are, are looking for. I, I, again, I, I don't, this event does not preclude there from being another event. And, and maybe that's where I'm concerned is that we haven't reached a point where anybody's willing to back something different that is about what we've got here, what we've got going on in the American game. It doesn't mean we can't, we have to, like, it doesn't mean you're banned because you have an accent. It doesn't mean that the, the Brits aren't allowed. It means that we need to recognize that there's a whole. A lot of things across a big spectrum. Now, I'm just joking on Twitter last night that we need a, a, a very American soccer convention that has people like Frankie Hayduke and Eddie Johnson and Jack Edwards. And I was joking about Jack Edwards. I also said that, hey, you know, maybe, I mean, not maybe, I don't know, his recollection of 2002 would be fun. Maybe we, we need to unite all the people who say upper 90 because that seems to be a very American thing. I, I don't know. It's, it, 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 we, have a, we have a level of shame Sometimes professional soccer fans have a level of shame in this country that boggles my mind. And I have so I have so many conversations out in the world that begin with, oh, you're a soccer fan? And I go, yeah, I actually cover soccer. I do a radio show. Oh, yeah? Uh, uh, who do you cover? And I go, you know, uh, MLS, national team. Oh, yeah, well, I only watch the Premier League. I only like, you know, I only like Aston Villa. Or I only like Arsenal. Uh, I, you know what? That's fine. That's your choice. But it, it speaks to something else here. What's uh, what's up, Henry? Hey, good morning, Jason. I just wanted to talk to you about the issue you had with the conference. Now, I like soccer. I'm borderline obsessed with it. And the main issue I have with your argument is people don't have as much access to the MLS as they do, say, the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga, et cetera. They don't have as much access? What are you talking about? There's two games on three, if you count. Uh, Univision Deportes okay. on a week. Oh, okay, okay. I but... can watch every single Premier League game if I want to with the Overflow channels, NBCSN. Uh, but I'd have to buy Direct Kick or something like that. And I think people just don't want to spend that money, myself included. Uh, so it'd be easier if they actually maybe ESPN carried more games or something like that. 
I don't. I don't know that. I. I don't know if that's the argument. I mean, look, uh, MLS could do better. I. I mean, in, in terms of its TV presence, but clearly MLS is not in a position to demand that time yet. But there is. I'm not even arguing for the for MLS over the Premier League. That's not. That's not even the essence of my argument. The the essence of my argument well, of is for you to stand up and go. America, soccer in America is a big thing. Here are all these British people. You know, that, okay. that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, again, I, I don't even know if there's a good reverse analogy here, a way to, to describe how this might work somewhere else, because I don't think there's another sport that travels the way that soccer does. I just think that, again, you know, the, 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 the sponsors for this thing are EA Sports, Adidas, and Cooper Mini. Do you think, <laughs> do you think those three sponsors would step up and back a convention that was entirely based on people who were working on the game here. Uh, you know, if it was a, if, if it, it would generate the money, but that's, it, that's, it would. But, but, that's, but I that, guess maybe because it hasn't been the MLS doesn't generate that kind of revenue, not yet. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with revenue. It has everything to do with again with the cultural well, element. Well, sure. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, look, there's 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 a lot of things to unpack here, and again. I'll, I I don't I I don't get them I I don't find them humorous I mean that that's just my taste that again I I don't I don't necessarily begrudge anybody the right to go listen to them and enjoy them I mean you got people on Twitter I don't watch uh, let's see no hold on uh oh, blah, 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 blah. men in blazers don't really bother me I what I really hate is Americans who go to games and chant with an English accent okay that's John Rickerman uh, let's see I have I'll listen to men in blazers because it's funny like Monty Python is funny and they don't appear to be asshats. That's a weird. That's a weird comparison to make. Putting putting them on the level of Monty Python, but that, that's fine. Again, it's ah, uh, it's it's this it's this notion that it's frustrating, isn't it? it well, it's again, it's frustrating because I, I, I think all of these things can coexist. I really do. But I but I but I I definitely have a feeling. There's definitely this this instinct that too often we turn. And it started with coaches in the early, in the late seventies and early eighties, and it's continued on through now with our, with the people on television and the people telling us about the game. I mean, I, I'm sure that Kyle Martino still gets massive abuse every time he's on NBC Sports because he doesn't have an accent because he didn't play in England, even though he's a really smart guy who understands the game intimately and can explain things in a very simple way that helps the the average fan understand the sport. You know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at. I'm glad that they hired him. I'm glad that they hired Kyle Martino because it does kind of buck against this trend. But when we when we talk about who you hire to be the play-by-play voice of Team A and Team B, and and more often than not, what we're going with is is executives who say, you know what, we really need a we really need a British guy. Like that's that's some like we really and, and the argument. Oh well, there's no good American soccer announcers. Okay, well. Honestly, are you looking for them? Are you trying to give an opportunity for that? Whose responsibility is that? Are we ever going to get to the point where we trust American soccer broadcasters? John Strong, there's got to be more than one John Strong in the world. I, I mean, I love the guy. He's amazing. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody else out there who can, who can approach that level. And yet, I wonder if any of them are getting a chance. Steve Cangelosi. Now, when you, when you say broadcasters here, are you speaking just as a broadcaster or a commentator? Because it seems with the MLS oh. teams getting Taylor Twelman, you're getting Alexi Wallace. So these are no, Americans no, no. in sure, the game commenting sure, sure. on the games. Yes, yes, you're right. That that's but that I think that we have uh we have a different idea of who can the I guess the the the, the, the issue is that the narrative voice 
is more often than not the one with the accent. The, the narrative we want the we want the narrative voice to tell uh, to be to be one who sounds cultured and fits this image we have of what soccer is. And we've been conditioned, and that's that's the thing. Again, if if ESPN decides that the best thing for them to do is to have a British voice calling their games, they're doing it because that's what the public wants. Well, why does the public want that? That's what I'm getting to. So what's the basic cultural condition that creates a situation where American soccer fans go, you know what? I can't listen to JP Della Camera. I need to have an accent. That's that. Okay. And, and well, we are, I think you might be getting with it a little, a little too much. Now I'm, I'm relatively new to the game, and that's all I know is an English commentator. So I didn't even realize that it's it's such big an issue. So I guess it's well, no, you're I mean, doing like, your part some to people, bring it up. Some people aren't, but uh, some people don't. You know, some people don't think it's an issue. It's again, I'm not. Man, it's it's so tough. It's all part of this uh, again, this this stew that we have going on here, and and. I I see I see American soccer is very fractured. And when I say American mm-hmm. soccer, I mean fans who are fairly new to the game, who are turning uh, more often than not first to European leagues, be it the Premier League or something else. Uh, I'm talking about guys who have been working, Americans who have been working as coaches for 30 years, um, who probably won't get the, the respect that they deserve because, hey, they're Americans, what could they possibly know? You know, stuff like that. That stuff still holds mm-hmm. on, and it and – that's where that's where my frustration um that's where my frustration comes out and again it's 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 this notion that as americans we sort of just open our arms and instead of saying hey let's see what we've got going on here and maybe our own culture can be uh you know maybe we can develop our own culture whether that means some latino influence and some european influence and mix them all together and throw them out and maybe some college uh, sports influence from from what we've been doing for the last century when it comes to those those things instead of doing that we cor- we sort of just go well hey here's a british guy they really love soccer they really know soccer i mean i don't know it, it's it's really difficult to put into words that that make a lot of sense henry which maybe says something about the whole argument i appreciate the call man all right, take care. Uh, there goes, uh, there goes Henry. All right, last call on this. I- I'm, I'm done. I really am. I'm done. John in Dallas, you're on the air. Hey, Jason, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm floundering a bit here, John. It, it is what it is. Well, well, let me, no. Let me, let me get some clarification. I, so I want to, I want to chat with you about this. You know, your comments on because we've kind of been all over the map. There's been a lot. You said a lot, right? And I want to, I want to get some clarification because you, because you're talking about things like. You know, you mentioned guys coming up to you and saying, "Oh, you cover MLS." Well, I only watch the Premier League, and even then, I only watch Aston Villa. Or people shouting, "You know, who are you?" Chants from the supporters sections, and you, you know, you mentioned a number of things like that that kind of go in the same family that that you were. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you say against them, but maybe let's just call it less than pleased with those types of things. But and then there's this whole notion of this convention that's being put on that you talked about. That I I, I get from you that you're uh, not not that they don't have the right to put it on, not that you're necessarily upset that it's being put on, but but that it's. That it's uh, that I don't know. That, that's, that's, those those that are the it, dots that, I, that I'm having a hard time okay. connecting it, with, with what you're saying. It, this is this is more okay. This is obviously more than just this actual event. This has has a lot to do with uh, sort of the act that's been going on for quite some time, and and part of that act is. Uh, for a long time, making fun of American efforts to play the sport, focus very much on the English game, and then when it suits their needs, turning into rah rah USA. Hey, Americans, we're supporting you. America, you know, soccer is the sport of uh, the future in America. Tongue in cheek, 
go USA, we're going to win the World Cup anytime ha- something happens. Uh, again, it's very, it's very convenient and very easy for them to sort of latch on to whatever enthusiasm comes with um, an American soccer product and then turn their back the second that that goes away. It's, it's, they, it's a little bit unfair. Okay. When I, when I say unfair, what I mean is for a guy like me, I can't, I can't go on the air, make a bunch of jokes about the U.S., uh, how much the U.S. sucks at soccer, because then I'm the, the self-hating soccer fan. And then when it time comes for the World Cup, go, yay, you know, Tim Howard is the, the brick wall and give everybody clever nicknames and hitch my wagon to a U.S. national team that's, that's very popular in that moment. That, that's, that's what bothers me a bit. Sure, sure. I, I, um, so, so let me, yeah, I'm with you, by the way. So but let me ask you this, I, and I tweeted this at you a little bit ago, uh, see what, you, what your response is. But, you know, so I, listen, I haven't been following this, this announcement at all. I, I just kind of really found out about it when you mentioned it this morning. So they may, there may be something that I missed, but because you're talking about growth of the game in this country and this convention, was, was, was that one of the stated goals of this convention? Was it, was it growing the game in the United States? Uh, hold on a second. I, I I had the I had the page up. I think I've closed it now. But there's there's very much this tone that this is uh this is feeding Americans uh, America's uh, growing appetite for soccer and and maybe they're couching it in the fact that you know hey Americans love the Premier League and and that's all that that really matters. But but again, I mean it's uh i don't even know if it's about the convention i think the convention is just the tipping point for me a bit um we will do anything to grow the game in this country this is the next the logical mm. next step so there you go um that and, and mm. that, that was right. yeah. that, that was said in a new york times p a new york times write-up on this and, and again i mean you know the the fact that they're on nbc the fact that they have that sort of clout gives them uh, um the opportunity to get that sort of pub- uh, publicity to be in to be written up uh in in the New York Times for this convention uh but again it's it, for me and, and the, again these guys have been here for a very long time i'm pretty sure that uh the, that they have very strong connections to the united states i'm not i'm not claiming that they're uh, that they're not lovers of of america or that they're only here to to make a quick buck and leave, or, or 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 take advantage of an American soccer public. I mean, clearly they love what they love. I'm I'm more focused on the notion that Americans continually need validation from people with accents in order to feel good about uh, American soccer, and and they feed that as you know they they're taking advantage of that. Um, maybe it's maybe the the mm. fault lies with or, or what I'm viewing as the fault lies with both par- both parties. Yeah, and I and I I mean I couldn't agree more, Jason. All I, yeah, that's that's what I was just trying to get to. I, I I all these points that you've made about you know American soccer fans needing you know validation and and I mean you you said a lot there. I'm with you on all that stuff. What I wasn't connecting was how this particular conference really um, I don't know is related to that. But mm-hmm. I I mean if that is their point, if if part of their it, it, point here is to grow. Yeah, sorry, I, I don't mean to jump uh, in here, but, but I'm going to throw in another quote because this is from this is from the senior marketing manager at EA Sports, one of the sponsors of this convention. Okay, he says, "I think what this will help do is grow the sport even more. We all get really excited for about growing the sport of soccer, not necessarily growing our personal brand, but growing the sport itself." And again, I, I I'm sure EA Sports has done a lot of stuff with MLS. I, I just I, I don't know that if 
if so, uh, okay, I, I can't, I can't make that because I can't prove a negative. I can't make that argument that if if somebody called up and said, "Hey, we're having a convention. Oh yeah, who's coming and who's running it? Well, it's this American guy and this American guy, and we're gonna have uh, uh, you know." A bunch of people who are tied to the growth of the American game, whether EA Sports steps up with the same sort of support. You know what I'm saying? I, I, maybe, they're, maybe I'm wrong sure. about that. Uh, that. That's probably unfair of me. But, the, but that's, my, that's what my gut says. My gut says that if you don't have the accent, if you aren't selling the English game, then you're probably not going to get the same sort of support here. And that, again, speaks to the market and speaks to the people who are watching soccer and the growing community of people who watch soccer and what they're what they're interested in and what they what they decide that they want to value and they want to value uh you know they want to value the english game and turn their nose up at at american soccer in all its forms not just mls but all its forms yeah i mean you know kind of a tangential thing there right is that how do we overcome because a lot a lot of the problem is the star power far and away exists in the in the English Premier League that that we and we don't just don't even have that same level uh, in MLS and so and what so what people like ESPN and NBC and um, I suppose Fox to a degree are doing they they they're shoving down your throat uh, every star player from every English English Premier League team on Sports Center you know you get a little bit of MLS but but largely you're getting uh, and not even English Premier League by the way you're getting the Ronaldo's and the Messi's and those guys and, and so so the the general Sports fan is drawn to yeah, but, uh, that. This is the English Premier League, but, the La Liga. And so how do you? Sure, how do you? But John, it's not. It's that? not. It's not. It's not the leagues that I care about. It's not. It's not the popularity of the leagues. It's not the fans who want to watch. I watch the Premier League. I like the Premier League. I enjoy watching the Premier League. But I don't feel the need to start talking talking about pitches and boots. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't feel. I. I, I I don't feel the no, need did, to get together with a bunch of my friends and run around and sing English football chants and act like and call ourselves the 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 Third Street Hooligans. You know, I, I, that's that's the line for me. That's where Americans lose. the Here we go. I'm going to steal something. They lose the plot saying it tongue in cheek because I know that that's not an American phrase. That's an English phrase. And occasionally I'll slip. Yeah, sure. I'll, occasionally I'll slip up and say pitch or something. And we're all we're all a product of our influence. John, I got to run. I apologize. This is a really long show. Thanks for the comment. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, we're all uh, we're all product of our influences. And occasionally I'll say pitch or I'll say you know I'll use a, a, an English football cliche, and and it, it's all there. But we also it's not necessarily doing that that bothers me or should bother you. It's the notion that the American equivalent is second best or second or, or not good enough, or we need to. And, you know, don't call them cleats because that's American. Ew, call them boots. No, no, no. If you want to call them boots, fine. There's nothing wrong with calling them cleats. There's nothing wrong with saying field. There's nothing wrong with saying zero instead of nil. All of these things. Maybe we're moving on from that. And maybe we're becoming a more, so- a more mature soccer culture. And maybe I'm wrong about all of this. And I fully admit. All right, let's wash the taste out of the mouth a little bit. Rob. Your last call. It's a long show. Go ahead. Man, I feel really guilty because I'm calling in about the Premier League question. No, no, and, and look, I, I'm happy to talk about. <laughs> no, it. No, no, I'm happy to talk about. You're, it. You're, you're making you're making Gus Johnson's day today. I mean, I feel like he's doing the silent fist pump and like crying right now because he, he just feels oh, very you know man. you know very relieved that somebody else is having this thought. And by the way, I'm 100 percent behind you. I've thought this a lot to myself uh, throughout the years. 
I'm a DC United uh, season ticket holder, but I have a Premier League thing uh, this morning. Good for you. Um, uh, awesome. Yes. By it, the way, it, by the way, Gus Johnson. I'm sorry. Go say, Gus Johnson's problem wasn't that he was American; is that he had no co- no concept of the game. He had, <laughs> he had not watched nearly. Yeah, he, had, he hadn't watched or been a fan of soccer nearly long enough to to be to be doing in that the game. six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You said that like fifty million times. Um, anyways, um, my my beef with uh, with the Premier League today and and world soccer, I guess in general, is it, why why does the transfer window have to bleed three weeks into yeah. the regular season of most major leagues? Yeah. I, I'm I'm a uh, an Everton fan as well. Uh, I, I get up on Saturday mornings and go down to DC to, to to watch the games and and you know I'm sure you've been following the John Stones thing and you know Everton said no. They said no again. They said no again. And Chelsea has persisted. And, and now we're three weeks into the season. We've already started, you know, gelling as a team, hopefully. Uh, and, and now we're probably going to lose a critical piece of our team, uh, you know, because the, the trade deadline, for some reason, for no reason at all that I can think of, goes three weeks into the season. Yeah, no, I, I think that's ridiculous, too. I think that there needs to be some serious discussion about closing the transfer window before the season starts. In fact, I saw somebody on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, uh, so I apologize for stealing from them. But essentially it said the transfer window should should close 24 hours before your first league match. Just whatever uh, well, league. I mean, there's no league reason why it can't open up the day after the Champions League final. Yeah, right, exactly. You know? Yeah, you could have an entire yeah. summer to get this stuff done. I mean, we, we, get exactly. to, we get to August, and it's like scramble, 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 but then everybody waits. And then we get, okay, well, right. now we're going to keep. And, and you know what? It, it, if, you're a, if you're a manager... Why wouldn't you want to wait, play a couple of games, see things how things are going? Okay, wow, we really need a center back. Let's go buy a center back. Uh, of course, you right. want that evidence, but that does create a problem for. And again, I've said it. I said it earlier in the show, Rob. The players have the power. If John Stones wants to go, John Stones is going to go. Mm-hmm. If the money is there, he's right. going because Everton can't afford to keep a player in their roster who doesn't want to be there. That's just a distraction mm-hmm. for the rest of the season, rather than just for the next couple of weeks. Right. Yeah, Rob. Appreciate the call, man. I got to yeah. run. There you go. All right. All right. Take care. Possibly the longest show in the history of Soccer Morning uh, on World Soccer Talk, but it's a good one, and I hope you got something out of that discussion. Again, lots of ways to look at it, but uh, clearly we're a culture, a soccer culture, who is uh, still deferring in a lot of ways. Don't trust ourselves. Have an inferiority complex. Uh, maybe it just is what it is. All right. We'll t- we'll get out of here. When I we come back, we'll talk. Or, sorry, I'll come back tomorrow. Let me get that a little lower for you. We'll come back tomorrow. We'll talk about something completely different. It'll be Thursday. It'll be fun. Soccer morning. Backhill.com slash store. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Go check us out. See you later. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter. Tell me why the hell no one is here.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.